Welcome to another edition of Rebellion Research's educational video series. We are so lucky to have two absolute superstars with us today. Wharton professor Amit Gandhi and NLP legend Dima Karlev have joined us to discuss the future of decision making and how COVID-19 is going to change what drives the decisions of our politics and our CEOs going forward and how countries will be managed and corporations will be managed. I think we've entered a whole new undiscovered country. I um, really you know, feel very strongly. I hate to quote Star Trek six, but it is one of my favorites. And um, you know, today we're, we're going to see what lays in store for the future decision-making. So Dima, do you want to start us off today? Oh yeah. To, thanks a lot for inviting me over. There's a good joke that is common these days that, you know, there's a multiple choice question. What is driving digital transformation of your company? And uh, there are different options and one of them is COVID-19. So I think we, we have certainly entered this uncharted territory where um, on the one hand, there's tons and tons of opportunity. And uh, in a way we have, to, we have to acknowledge we're blessed and privileged that in the world of IT, in the world of, yeah. there's a small part of what that can be done remotely. And we seem to be doing okay in a sense that our productivity hasn't dropped dramatically. On the other hand, we have no idea how to manage long-term consequences of our decision-making processes. And it's easy to, I mean, I don't think it's an, it's an overstatement that most people making large-scale decisions are just flying blind. We have no idea what the, what the holes are. And I think that's what, that's what we like to talk about, especially with Amit. And I think it's an interesting topic for us all to discuss. Yes, Amit, I know you did amazing work with Microsoft, uh, you know, you know, looking at uh, the way that they can market uh, their cloud program and, you know, really bringing fantastic mathematics to understanding, uh, you know, the customer. So, you know, do you think COVID-19 will be this kind of, you know, landmark uh, change for how our societies are run? Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, first, I sort of without a doubt. Uh, so it's, it's um, <clears throat> very few times in human history has there been a, a sort of a natural field experiment of this magnitude that has really sort of tested uh, many of our fundamental you know, societal business human assumptions about you know how we live how we work how we think um, as COVID you know 19 and, and it's 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 horrible in so many ways just what it's doing to you know people's health and and, and the economy but <clears throat> the learning experience from it is, is is quite profound and if you think about sort of what we're just sort of building off decisions. Um, you know, in a way, we've been making decisions as, 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 as a humanity, you know, in the same way for, 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 you can argue hundreds of years. I mean, I don't know what it looked like exactly 200 years ago, but I, I can imagine them getting, you know, huddling up in a room, having a discussion, uh, kind of going back and forth and, and, and sort of just organically trying to uh, make sense of complex situations. And with COVID-19, just, workflows kind of moving into technology and just this conversation is, is is now something this conversation is code this whole interaction is code that that has really kind of opened up the playbook in terms of like how we think about end-to-end -end processes and in particular uh, decisions uh, the way the dark ages and the fall of the roman empire you know was really a uh, you know kind of boost backwards of a recidivist nature. You know, I believe COVID-19 will have the 180 degree 
polar opposite effect in that it will boost innovation, it will boost decision making. The idea of you know unit economics will take a great leap forward. You know, and the idea of you know making these decisions flying blind will be a thing of the past. There will be a, a lot more emphasis on you know data that shows a certain law or area should be explored, be it in politics, or be it the CEO's office at General Mills. So, you know, we're entering kind of a new statistical era, in my opinion, you know, in human existence. Yep. Yeah, and I, 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 I agree. And I think the tension, of course, is that if you look at the um, standard business school model of, of, of productivity and, and sort of uh, collaboration, um, kind of, you know, th there's a lot of existential issues as, as to what face-to-face -face human contact buys you. <laughs> what, 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 what does it achieve? I mean, and, and there is something there, but in some ways, like we're being now forced to, to isolate that business value and extract why that's useful and, and sort of import it and apply it in exactly the situations it should be useful. It's not useful for everything. Uh, that, that's clear. And, and it's known that it can lead to biases and groupthink and, and, and all kinds of uh, challenges. But there's some laws here, and I, I do struggle with it. I, and I don't think the model's been nailed shut as to what's the right way to think about the trade-off. No, uh, you know, Rebellion Research was very lucky to have a, a partner of Apollo give a guest talk this week. And one of the points he made was that the entire analyst class of 2020 has not met anyone at the firm, met any of each other. And, you know, these connections early on, uh, you know, allow you to kind of have these social bridges that, you know, really kind of grease your career flow, if you will. So, you know, he, you know, worries about uh, the new analyst class being kind of so shut off each in their individual uh, cubicle. You know, it's, one thing for some firms, uh, online-based firms, to be able to accelerate during COVID-19. But yeah. it's another thing when you look at the general productivity. I personally believe productivity across the board has dropped. You know, I think mm -hmm. you've got some firms that are lucky and well-placed for this, but how much longer will that runway go where without some face-to-face -face contact, will there be a loss of productivity? You know, these are great questions. At the same time, I just spoke to a CEO of a healthcare company who wants to give up his office completely. In fact, one of my old friends, Jeff Adams, the inventor of uh, Alexa, uh, mm. said that you know, when, when he started his company, he never even thought about having an office because he said, I know more about NLP than anybody else. I will assign you the products, the projects, and if you don't do a good job, I'll find someone who does. And I don't need to have you in an office to do my work for me. I, you know, I have... Fortune 500 company who wants me to do a project for them and I need help in doing, you know, this amount of code and you can either do it for me or you can't. But at the same time, other businesses just require face-to-face -face contact. And so, you know, like so much in life, we've got this kind of gray area and the black and white. Yep. Yep. No, I t t totally agree. And the weird thing about the, 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 the kind of phenomenon at work is that if you go back to these these old theories of the 90s um you know the kind of the world is flat hypothesis that we have this networked world and 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 suddenly it's sort of democratized um everything and so kind of the, this flattening of of the world in a weird way the you know the first wave of it 
it didn't really lead to that outcome. It sort of led to this, you know, what we would almost call an economic agglomeration effects became even bigger. Like, like superstar cities are even more important than ever. San Francisco, New York, uh, you know, Tokyo, mm-hmm. London. And so in a weird way, the networked economy did not lead to this flattening effect. But that's really, I think, the interesting proposition that's on the table right now, which is with, within the post-COVID-19 era, you know, do you get that? Do you get, you know, there's something of that sort happens? And is that necessarily what we want, right? That's the other kind of like deeper, I think, kind of human welfare issue. And is that, is that good? Is that bad? What does that exactly look like? Does that solve certain inequalities or does that actually exacerbate them potentially? Yeah, uh, that's a, a great point. Let's uh, hold on, pause. Dima, what are your thoughts here? Um, plenty, actually. So for once, I think it's important to realize that COVID is an existential threat. Whether you like it or not, it's a big threat, so it's easy to justify us moving forward slowly. We will know a lot a year from now, but it's, it's plausible to argue that we should not take big risks today. Even if in many cases, 90% of people would say, hey, that's a smart decision, we've got to be careful. And uh, so with, with scarce data, we try to collect a lot of data um, in, the, in the medical field, in the healthcare field, in the collective behavioral field, but it's important to understand that with, with the data being so scarce, pretty much any point of view can be justified. You can cherry pick the data, we all have our biases, we're all blindsided one way or the other. So in this regard, it's important to realize that in terms of uh, resuming our economy, in terms of whether we have to be remote or no, it's the same distribution. I'm working with executives and they're telling me different stories based on the same data. They would say, oh, look, we, we, we have polls from a huge number of employees who have posed with 90 plus percent uh, acceptance or response rate. And there's always the same picture. There's 15, 20% of people who actually think it's awesome to work from home. They found their peace, they found their passion, they know how it works. They are probably somewhat less productive, but come on, we were never 100% productive. So it's working out. We have 10, 15% of people who would hate to be at home, mostly those with kids, mostly those with babysitting issues. So they would love to return to the office. And we have the remaining 70, 80, who would just follow the majority. So the idea of whether we actually should embrace this, let's ditch the office or let's shrink office space by 50% or whether we should actually keep office space and just have larger offices and, be, and make it like on demand office attendance. From the same data we were looking at, we can draw the opposite conclusions and it's still not clear what the economy of this would look like. I think it's just a fascinating moment to realize that we have to more than ever keep collecting the data in a way that we won't be able to make a decision today, but we need to make the, this data available across the board, across companies, across continents, so that a year or two or five from now, we will be able to tell. Like with Uber, we know now search pricing works, but it took the humankind five years to realize that it's, it's okay if over Christmas night, an Uber ride to the hospital costs 5X. If, you're, if your wife's delivering, that's fine if you have to spend an extra 100 bucks for that, because that's a healthy economic situation. But it took years and years for the humankind to, to get used to this. Maybe the same thing would, would happen to the officers. We don't know yet, and we can't even predict. I think it's fascinating. That's, that, that, that's absolutely right. And, and, and I think the, um, the one maybe point to add to that, um, what, what Dima just said, is sort of in the, so fundamentally, nobody knows, right? It's fundamentally that this thing happened, and so, who knows? It can go up and go down and go left and go right. And in, in, you know, in the face of massive uncertainty, 
of this magnitude, you know, very few events have happened where it's like really like all your historical data, maybe it's, maybe it's garbage. Like maybe you just, you're starting from a, from, from a truly clean slate. So in that, in that environment, kind of what your, the real opportunity is, you know, you know, we've optimized for this, COVID happened, maybe the new optimum is over here. Well, how do you kind of inch towards that new place? Like the value of experimentation has never been as high as it's been as now. Like the value of, hey, I don't know. Let's just concede. <laughs> and, and so I running little experiments, both in life and business and in society, is really the only way we'll know. I know this is not optimal, but I don't know if the new optimum is over here or the new optimum is over here. And so I, I think that's a really powerful principle. I definitely think the Medici idea of the kind of salon uh, meets, you know, clubhouse, if you will, will be much more of an in favor, uh, you know, work idea where, you know, you don't have as much of the formal office that was highlighted, you know, for instance, in the movie Office Space with Jennifer Aniston. You have really much more of kind of a, a place to go, be stimulated to think, to collaborate, because, you know, being around brilliant people makes you smarter you know you play better against better opponents you play worse against worse opponents it's pretty universal so you know maybe in time the office won't be so much of you know the prison mentality but more of the clubhouse mentality where that's another you know additional kind of benefit to joining that firm right look at this amazing clubhouse i i i I hate to bring it back to uh, real estate, but you know, in New York at um, 120 Wall Street, uh, for instance, there was a, an amazing office designed by uh, Droga. And Droga is one of the coolest advertising firms, but the office is so cool that people want to work for them to hang out at that place. It's like <laughs> one of the coolest places to hang out. And so, you know, is that gonna be more of the future, these kind of trophy office you know, spots where, you know, I want to work there because, wow, that's really cool. So, you know, of course, there'll be a yeah. huge middle ground. And then maybe other firms where the environment would be almost detrimental towards productivity, you'll have a lot more working at home. And I, I just think the option of working at home is going to be a lot more available. That, that's, I, I, I think that's right, which actually you bring up an interesting point about kind of the value of, of the peer community Mm -hmm. in sort of pushing and driving a certain ethic and, and, and way of looking at things. Because, you know, in, in some ways, what is powerful about the, the office is, you know, the big C word, like the culture, right? How, how, do you, how do you get across the culture? And I also like to say, you know, culture dominates economics, dominates data science, you know, culture, culture wins, you know, culture, culture drives uh, the machine, you know, rebelling research, I'm sure has a, has a, has a culture and, and you've instituted a culture. And so how do you get that culture across without those artifacts of the office and the, 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 the mystique and, and kind of the, the way meetings are run and just the, the ethos of the place. And I think that is, that's a tough one, and 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 I would be very interesting. It'd be very interesting to see how kind of this wave of startups that's now basically um, emerging now, uh, and you'll hear a lot about uh, you know new ventures and everything is you know they don't care about location anymore. Nobody has to move anywhere. What do those cultures start to look like, and and how, how does that uh, how does that emerge? I think it's I think it's a tough question. Yeah. I mean, I just I think that you know the, the culture that appeals to you will be the place you want to work. It'll be a a different you know job environment you know i want to work with these people i like what they do i like 
what they're doing with, you know, and I, I remember you mentioned that you went to Chicago because you wanted to work with Bayesian methods on economics. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense to me, quite frankly. And, you know, if I had a student like you who really, you know, was deeply into the fundamental, uh, you know, drive of economics, I would say, you know, Chicago is a great place to study. You know, at the same time, different strokes for different folks. And so, you know, maybe, you know, making it simplified, COVID will create a much more unique environment, if you will, one where people can find, you know, their places uh, of being. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Honestly, honestly, I would not be so worried about culture. Culture is one of those uh, aspects of life which is so naturally gravitating towards the positive trajectory. Well, what do you like about Dima? It's look, um, I was at Google Zurich. I spent a couple of years there. It was an amazing office with amazing people. And I missed that. And then I would I was totally stunned by the by the force with which people really want to work at Google just because you mentioned, hey, you know, we have free food and we have these game nights and look at the pictures of this office, it's so great. Then once I was out of this um sandcastle, um, I quickly realized that you know what, it's just decorations. People are the most important part. I don't care if it's free food or free smoothies or, or the best barista in the office. It really doesn't matter. And then slowly, five years later, you see the value of that. You just re revisit that. So I think this, this, this idea that culture attracts, uh, the pendulum is so naturally swinging that we'll just get this, at this dimension of whether you have or don't have to be in the office. This dimension is going to blend in naturally. It's going to expand this, this, this dimensionality of the, of the offerings the companies contain the companies can extend their prospective employees and that's it. That's a good thing. I'm not worried here at all. Mm, mm, mm. No, that's, that's interesting. But then what about like the, 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 you should, so you're saying the, the personality aspect of culture, the, the, the people personality stuff, you think that that just, the, the force of human nature will come out irrespective. So that, that, that's not a concern to you. Um, well, let's look, culture will prevail. This yeah. happens. The question is, we're entering the phase of the, of the human history where we, we have to steer this process so that, because organically it's not quick enough. Yeah. It's not converging quickly enough. I mean, you can, I, I can bet the culture is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, come out ahead. But then the, the, the damage done if we just leave it to, to its own devices could be cross-continental, cross cross-governmental uh, yeah. systems um, competition. Which, in order to prevail, we would have tons of tons of graveyards to pass, and then more now. So I think we need to make sure we we catalyze this process so that the the direction we know is right has even more chance to succeed soon enough. But again, I'm not. Yeah. I don't think culture is existentially threatened here. I think yeah. what's what's a lot more scare what's what's a lot more scary is that we're, we are at this bifurcation point where a few bad decisions somehow made. Uh, concurrently at different locations of this planet can make the work culture, can make the work ethic suffer quite a bit. And it's going to take a lot, a lot longer to recover. And this recovery process will be a lot more painful. That's what concerns me. Whether it's, whether it's we get to the office next week or next month or next year, honestly, yeah. not my concern. But the, mor yeah. the morale of the people, the value of this alumni, the idea that we, we pick companies and projects largely because we get to work with the people and learn from them. We can't lose this. We have we have to emphasize this as much as we can. That's human nature. I would agree. I would agree. Well, I guess uh, this has been just a fantastic conversation, and I really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you uh, both for coming on to this program. Uh, you're both absolutely brilliant individuals, and 
I love every chance I get to uh, interact with you both. So uh, do you have any parting words you'd like to add for our viewers? Um, I think I'll, I'll just say that with, um, you know, once we go back, um, I think that the real question is, um, what of this model do we want to retain and, and, and what of this model do we want to um, put to the side and kind of re revisit our old norms? And I really do think kind of going back to the issue of data, we now understand more about work, meetings, decisions as it's captured through data than ever before. And I, and I do encourage us all to sort of look at that, like think about how our video conferences calls are working, how our meetings are working, how our workflow, our decision flow is working. And unless we kind of take that learning lesson from this experience, I just worry a little bit about reversion to our old mean and not really capitalizing on, on, on what this, this opportunity exactly fully represents. Yeah, no, I, uh, I completely agree with you. Uh, Dima? Great summary. Uh, Alex, to me, rebellion is all about data and AI. And we can, we can talk about how, how much of a force of nature AI is, but I think at the end of the day, it's all about the data. And uh, one of the, I think people underestimate the value that we have right now as an experiment, that tons of work is being done online. Tons of work is being done by video conferencing. The great possible outcome that we're still under leveraging is that we can learn about the efficiency of the processes. We can look back, replay those videos if they, if they are recorded. Look at how much time did it take to make certain decisions. This is, this is a gold mine. We may not have a chance to collect the data of this quality for the next many years to come. That's, that, that's why I'm so fond of the idea of, like, look, let's, let's, let's uh, put a flag here. Let's see how this goes. And let's make sure in the companies we, we, we record these milestones later on so we can, we can let the AI revisit this later on. You know, Dima, I, lo I love to study crashes in life, be it airplane crashes or financial crashes, because when things go wrong, there's so much to be learned. And in fact, 2008, I'm still studying constantly and driving new information from that financial crisis. So I have no doubt that I'll be studying you know, this probably until my death. So, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, Alex. Yeah. Sure. Well, to end on a positive note, let's let's hope. I mean, we have to hope. We have to believe this. This world of humans should be. It's got to be anti-fragile. Otherwise, we're going to lose. So, catastrophes to certain to certain degree are actually awesome learning experiences for us all as a humankind. Let's just let's. I think it's the best way to maintain this stoic attitude towards what's going on. Because the better we go through this, the more we learn. The faster we learn. Well, you two are the best. Thank you so much, and everyone, stay safe.